Good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Got a couple of things I got to get from the back. I've got props. They'll come into play later. Oh, but for now, I want to welcome you to Shelby Road Baptist Church. If, uh, yeah, I heard a woo out there. Maybe I'm imagining that and I just like to hear woos, but I thought I heard a woo, so I'm going to go with it. I'm really glad that you guys are here today. Uh, If you don't, yeah, if you don't know... (laughs) If you don't know who I am, because uh, this is your first Sunday, or you're visiting with us, I am Pastor Steve, and the pastor of this church, and I'm so, <laughs> yes, this is going to be a fun message. All right. We're in a series called Game Changers, five game-changing verses in the Bible, and I have loved going through this series with you guys, because I, I hope it has accomplished some of what uh, we intended, which was to really encourage people to get into your Bible. You know, for far too many of us, it tends to gather a little bit of dust on the shelf between Sundays. Maybe you, you know, I, I stopped a while ago bringing my Bible to church on Sundays sometimes because the, the verses would be on the screen and stuff. And so sometimes we just don't open it very much. And it's my hope through the series that we become people who are opening it an awful lot, um, covering five game-changing truths in the Bible. And today's the last week. And so uh, as we finish up this series today, I want to remind you that next Sunday, August 11th, Pastor McNeil makes his wonderful, glorious return. Um, Yeah, that's right. You can woo that. That's good. I don't know what his entrance is going to be, but I I think he's got a grand entrance planned. But he's going to do an awesome series called uh, Jonah, Man Overboard, and it's going to be four weeks in the book of Jonah. I can't wait to go through that uh, with him and uh, have you guys uh, learn from him in that book. So, that said, you ready for the last week of Game Changers? If you're ready, say ready. Ready. Awesome. Uh, This is an excerpt from a book that was written by a woman who's married to a novelist. I know it's a little bit complex, but She's writing her memoirs, and she spent her whole life uh, married to a novelist, and she says this. In every book my husband's written, a character named Colin suffers a horrible death. This is because my boyfriend before I met my husband was named Colin. In In addition to being named Colin, he was Scottish and an architect. So you can understand my husband's feelings of inadequacy. My husband cannot build a tall building of many stories. He can only build a story and then push Colin out of it. (laughs) We do this thing in relationships, right? We get jealous sometimes, and uh, it's understandable, I think, uh, though we take it too far a lot, because we want something in all of our relationships— our romantic relationships that we're in, even sometimes our best friendships, we treat this way. We want exclusivity, right? Want to be exclusive. I don't want to share you with anybody else, right? And uh, I had uh, my first taste of this when I was about 12 years old. Uh, I think I was about 12. I might have been 13, but I was at a Super Bowl party. I'm not going to tell you which Super Bowl it was, lest you identify and do the math on how old I am. Um, 
But I was at a Super Bowl party, and I had a friend there who was a girl. And she approached me, and little did I know, I was having my very first ever DTR. You guys know what this is? A define the relationship talk. I didn't know I was having it, but I was having it. And she said, well, are we friends or are we more than friends? I said, I, I don't know the Super Bowl's on. <laughs> so I think I just kind of said yes to everything so that I could go back to the game because it was like the first quarter. And it was a good game. And so I think I had a girlfriend for that point in time. And the only reason that I think that I did is because the next morning I received a note dumping me. <laughs> Apparently, I had shown a little more exclusivity to watching the game than I did to uh, my new girlfriend that I didn't know that I had. But <laughs> we do this. And it's natural because relationships like this, close relationships, they do require a level of exclusivity in order to work, right? If I'm, I'm married to my wife, Caitlin, we need to be exclusive to each other in order for this relationship to work. And our relationship with God is very much the same way, except we tend to not be super exclusive with him, right? So today's main idea, the thing I don't want you to miss that we're going to dive into this uh, game-changing verse four is this. God wants all of you to himself, God wants all of you to himself. Everything. Now, even the most faithful, lifelong Christians, we still have things in our lives that we haven't given to him. We do. All of us do. And so a step in the right direction here is to look at the passage that we're going to look at today, which is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of your Bible. If you start from the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's number 5. And in chapter 6, the situation that we encounter is we encounter God's chosen people, Israel. Now, as I've said before, there was a problem with them being God's chosen people. They stopped choosing him. And so uh, God brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's in the, that story is in Exodus. You can see it there. And then threw out a wilderness trip that actually ended up much longer than it ever should have been. They took a trip that should have taken 11 days and made it 40 years. That's true. If you look at the geography... The trip for them from their land of slavery into what God was giving to them, a promised land, a new home, was about 11 days worth of journeying. But because they didn't trust God, God said, I'm going to discipline you. And as a result, you're going to wander around. If you actually map it, man, it's all over the place, like right next to the entrance, just like circles all over the place that God sends them on for 40 years. And now here in Deuteronomy 6, the 40 years are done, and God is about to give them the biggest blessing of their entire lives, the biggest one, which is this wonderful new home. But on the, on the edge, on the precipice of giving them the biggest blessing of their entire lives, he has a conversation with them. He has a DTR. It is time to define this relationship. And in the course of that conversation, he gives them a warning. 
It's the biggest warning that he's ever given them. And so open with me, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 1. Deuteronomy 6, 1, God says this. These are the commands, the decrees, and the laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You're about to go into the land. Verse 2, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And when he says the Lord is one there, there's a few different things that are packed inside of that phrase. One is that, hey, I'm God and I'm the only one there is. That's the biggest thing that God's saying there. But the other thing that he's saying there is, just like I am undivided, I want you to be undivided toward me. I want you to be completely exclusive to me. All right? Obey my laws, my commands. Not seeking after false gods that we tend to go after. Right? We do this in life. We tend to, we tend to take things that were meant to be simply good things, and we make them God things. And so this is what he's warning them against as he begins this conversation. This land that he's about to give them is amazing, by the way. It's absolutely amazing. I've got a picture here uh, for you. It's the Valley of Ella. Now, this might not look, wow, like amazing right from the picture, but trust me when I tell you this land's incredible, especially at this time. There were moisture-packed winds that would come from the Mediterranean Sea, and they would brush over the land, and, and the eastern part of the land, they would hit the east hills, and when they hit the east hills, they would lose their moisture in the form of rain and water that would run down the hills, and so this was an ideal place to plant and to grow, and so you had, as a result, things like this, 2,780 species of plants, 20 species of trees, 113 species of mammals, 314 of birds, 68 species of fish. You could grow wheat, barley, beans, lentils, grapes, pomegranates, figs, not to mention all of the cattle and the livestock that they had. It says that it was flowing with milk and honey, and those are two categories, actually. Milk refers to all of the cattle that the land was able to hold, and honey referred to the natural resource. Honey was very unusual to come by in this time. There weren't just, like, you know, honeybees and beekeepers everywhere. You would mostly find bees inside the clefts of rocks, where they could find shelter to actually build a nest and make honey. This is where you would find it, but this land was optimal for everything. And the thing that I want you to get here is that God is making the first move here in this newfound relationship with his people. God's making the first move. It's a huge one, too. He's given them this huge blessing of the land. And right after he says all of this, he gets to what is our game-changing verse of the day. We're going to cover it right here near the top. It's Deuteronomy 6, 5. He tells them this. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, that's a command. It's also a warning to them. And you'll see why as we continue on. But it's also a warning. But he says this, and this is kind of, if you're familiar with the Bible, you kind of know you've heard this verse before, right? It's a memory verse frequently, I think. You know, going back, I memorized it back in my days in, you know, kids' ministry. I memorized this verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And I'd get it confused with the New Testament version where Jesus also adds mind. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, I'm all confused. But this is well-known a well-known verse for those of us that have been in church for a while. If you haven't, then this is a great opportunity to make it a well-known verse for you. But inside this verse, I think that we've thought, at least I did for a long time, I thought that this verse means just love God a lot. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. So just be passionate about loving God. Be on fire. Well, that's not exactly what this verse is saying. There's three words here. Heart, soul, and strength. And they're three words for a very specific reason. Because words mean things. And behind each of those three words today, and I've arranged your notes in this way, behind each of those three words, we see a roadmap for what it looks like to love God exclusively. And as we go through this list, it would not surprise me if you encounter a couple of things that you're not doing right now in your Christian life. You will because I encountered some that I am not doing right now in my Christian life. And so don't let yourself off the hook here with this sermon. As we go through these things, honestly ask yourself, is this something that I'm doing or not? Uh, We love love right? We love love. We write about love all the time. We write about love in our TV shows. We write about love in our movies, right? Rom-coms. Where are my rom-com lovers at? There's very few of you willing to admit this publicly, <laughs> right? We, we love love in our movies. We love love in our books. Good love story, always want the people to end up together. And we love love in our songs. I can prove it to you. I've got, I put together some clips here of some sappy love songs. Okay? Uh, Mike, I want you to hit that for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Come on, you guys know these, right? I want you to show me. This is go- For decades, man, we've loved love. This is classic. I you didn't think Bieber would come into the sermon, did you? <laughs> this is a good one. They were all good ones. Yeah. 
Now I'm only f- Come on. It's sing-along day at Shelby Road Baptist Church. See? Any Chicago fans out there? We love love. And we say some really crazy stuff in these songs. Really crazy stuff. Like that last one by Chicago. You're the meaning in my life. Whoa. I got to be completely honest. I'm not sure that I'd want anybody to say that to me. You're, you're, the, meaning, you're the meaning in my life. You're my inspiration. How are you feeling, Sean? A little uncomfortable right now? That's because we take something, we take this thing, this love thing and the intensity of it that was meant for one relationship and we put it onto one it wasn't meant for. See what I'm saying? This was meant for God. God is calling us into this. We're hardwired to love. There's a reason we love love so much, and it's because it's not because we're all destined to find our magical person. It's not because of that. It's because what we find there is what we are all longing for, which is a love that will never go away. A love that will never go away. Every one of us is born with this desire, this hunger. And for too many of us now, we think we find it in romantic love, or we think we find it in, you know, even a close friendship, or something like this, and we take the weight that was meant to be on my relationship with God, and we put it on this other thing. I'm telling you, and I love my wife with all my heart, I'm telling you, it's not there. And all the married people in this room who are honest will agree with me. It's not there. It's my, my relationship with my wife is wonderful. I love the love that I have with my wife. It's not, the, it's not the love that I was wired for at my core, though. It's not. I was wired to be with God. And so for those of you in this room who are like, you're single and you don't want to be, I was there. I did my whole 20s as a single guy. Just know this. Search for someone to date. Absolutely do that. Pursue marriage. Marriage is good. But just don't think you're going to find the thing that's going to fulfill you at your core because you were meant for something else. Okay? Which is why it's so important for us to know God is inviting us into this love relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. He's saying, I have what you are longing for. And if you participate in this relationship exclusively with me, the way that I meant for this to be, you're going to find something that you maybe didn't even know you were looking for. This is the way that God is inviting us in. So let's look at heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. What does this mean? Well, look at verses 6 through 9. Verses 6 through 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your, what's that word? Hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Anybody read that and think that's a bit much? (laughs) 
<laughs> right? That's been much. Well, this is actually, Jewish people have taken this completely literally, and I'm not saying that that's wrong, but just understand this is where this has come from. They created, even at that time, things called phylacteries, where they would write down this passage of Scripture in Hebrew, roll it up in a scroll, and put it in a little box that they would have attached to their hands. And they would show their love for God by carrying this around all the time. It also had a version that went on their foreheads. Also, in addition to that, the doorposts. This is even something that exists today. It's called the mezuzah. And so they would write it down, this passage, write it down in Hebrew on a scroll, roll it up, and put it in a container that they'd then affix to the doorpost or the frame of the entryway of their house. And every time that they walked in and walked out, they would kiss it. I don't do that. I don't do that. And I don't have to do exactly that. But I need to do some version of that. And I don't think I'm even doing some version of that. Look at what it says. Talk about them. God's commands. Talk about them. Your heart, we think the heart in our Western civilization, the heart is mostly about emotions. When in reality, this Hebrew word here that's translated heart and how really everybody in the ancient world understood heart to work is that it was not only just the seat of your emotions, but it was actually really the seat of your intellect and will. So right along with how you feel and actually kind of overriding it is the understanding of loving your God with all of your heart is your thoughts and your talk. What you talk about and think about all the time. Now, what do we spend all our time thinking about and talking about? What do you talk about with your family, with your friends? I love sports. I love baseball. This is an old, worn-out baseball glove. It's not mine. I borrowed it. But I love that even in the seams here, like, they've been retied with the shoelace. The, it's, it's wonderful. I love a good old ball glove and to go play catch because I love baseball. And I love to think about baseball. Uh, I love to go to baseball games. And I love to get together with my friends, and I love to talk about baseball. And I've got a couple of friends that we talk baseball stats all the time. And I've got a couple other friends that I get together with, and I do something called fantasy sports. Who are my fantasy players out there? There's only three or four that are willing to admit to this. But we do this all the time, and I talk fantasy sports, and I do fantasy baseball and football and all that kind of stuff, and I'm terrible at it, but I still love it, and I do it because, because it's in my heart. It's what I talk, it's what I think about. It's part of what's in my heart. You talk about what is in your heart. If you don't think that I'm right about this, let's go to Jesus. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, he says this. I'm just going to put it up on the screen for you. He says, a man, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks, this is key, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This doesn't just go with good and evil. This just goes with whatever is in there. I had a friend, my best friend when we were younger. I was about, I mean, four or five years old, I think, when we met. And this is about, we were 10, 11 years old. 
And he loved baseball. Loved it. I didn't love it then. I hated it. I thought it was mind-numbingly boring. Some of you might be nodding your head and going, yeah. (laughs) But I thought it was terrible, boring. I didn't understand how anybody could love it or watch it or anything like that. And yet now, 20 years later, 25 years later, I love it. Wholeheartedly, I love it for myself. What 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 was the game changer in there for me? See, loving God with all my heart is making him a part of the running conversation in my life with my friends, with my family. Becoming what I'm, not obnoxiously, okay, but genuinely, right? When I would listen to my best friend talk about baseball when I still hated it, I was like, man, I'm doing this because you're my friend and I like you, but, you know, you got to really just talk about something else now. But I didn't realize at that time what was actually happening. I wasn't hearing his thoughts about baseball. I was hearing his heart because he loved this and made it a part of the running conversation and what he did and how he lived his life. Everybody who knew my friend knew he loved baseball. What if we loved God like this? What if we made him a part of the running conversation? He's got my whole heart, and so I'm talking about his commands with my kids. When we are sitting at Uh, When we are standing at the kitchen sink and we're washing the vegetables, getting ready for dinner, what if I'm talking to them about where these came from and how God created them for us to have today? What if I'm doing these kinds of things all the time and it becomes a part of my heart? So I'm talking about him all the time. I'm thinking about him all the time and bringing him into the running conversation of my life. Not obnoxiously, but genuinely. What would happen is people like me who might not love God might learn to love God by watching you love God. This is what happens. I learned to love baseball because I watched my best friend love baseball. I heard him love baseball. And it caught. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Make him a part of the running conversation. By the way, good conversations are driven by questions. And so if you are talking about God in your family and in your home, do not be afraid of questions. Ask the questions. Let your kids ask the questions. And if you don't know, ask somebody else. But don't allow your fear of that to stop you from having this running conversation. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. What about soul? Well, let's look at verse 10. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Repeat the talk and the conversation. Make him a part of your thinking. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. What's he getting at here? Verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. This Hebrew word is a little tricky to translate sometimes. Sometimes you see it as life in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's soul. Sometimes it's breath. Uh, but there was an understanding with this word. They frequently would tie uh, parts of the body to different words to help understand kind of what they were. So there were a lot of, so heart, that word is tied to like your gut, you know, like your, your guts. This is where you 
come out. This is where they believed this was the center of your will and intellect and everything was, this is where you came from, right? So soul is actually kind of tied to the throat in this culture, believe it or not. It's the word nephesh, and if you're going to capture a really good meaning of this word, it's this. Let's take a deep breath, everybody. Ready? In. Out. That right there. That right there. That's, that's soul. It's, it's the center of your, your self and your desires. And when you are at your most alive is when your desires are satisfied. It's like breathing out. That relaxation, right? So when God says, love the Lord your God with all of your soul, what he's getting at is repeated satisfaction. Repeated satisfaction. Too often, we find ourselves satisfied by other things, and we kind of stop there. There's something that I like to call the cycle of satisfaction. So we get a good thing from God, and he gives it to us, and we take in that good thing, and then we stop the cycle. We just enjoy the thing for the thing's sake. I've got cherries here from Renhacks. We just enjoy the thing for the thing's sake and think that I'm finding my satisfaction completely in this food or whatever it is or in this, you know, experience or in this relationship or in whatever it is. And we take that in and we don't complete the cycle of satisfaction, which means that I don't understand that the reason that this thing is satisfying to me is because God himself is satisfying to me. You see that? This is how we end up with people that get addictions because satisfaction in the thing becomes the goal. And I just keep going back to that, whatever that is. Could be sexual, could be food-related, could be relationally related. But whatever it is, I, I got satisfied with something and I think that that's what I need to keep going after for my soul to be alive, so I just keep going after it. And in reality... Because I'm not completing the cycle, I'm just enjoying the thing. I end up addicted to the thing as opposed to connected to the God that gave the thing. So here's how I complete the cycle. That's good. I'm sorry that I'm meeting in front of you. But it, you had good cherry before? It's really satisfying, right? It's really satisfying. Here's how you complete the cycle. This satisfies me because God himself satisfies me. That's how we do this. And I think about this all the time. Put it at the front of my mind. Whatever it is, I go outside and I enjoy a sunset. And man, this is incredibly satisfying to me. You know why it's satisfying and beautiful? Because God himself is satisfying and beautiful. You go and complete the cycle. And you realize that all of the good... See, one thing that we do with satisfaction, they were running the risk of this here. Says they had a bunch of stuff that they didn't work for. And then it said, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. We tend to do this when we get satisfied. 
We kind of forget to complete the cycle. We forget to understand that there's somewhere that this gift came from, and my satisfaction in the gift overshadows my satisfaction in the giver of the gift. Think it through. You find something right now. Think of something that you enjoy. I enjoy coffee. I enjoy the smell of coffee. Anybody else enjoy the smell of coffee? Okay, just a second here. I need you, this has got to be an interactive sermon here. You ready? Smell that. That's good. That's good stuff, right? You smelling that? This is awesome. I, I would get to you, but you're in the second row. <laughs> I love that. It's incredibly satisfying. The staff can tell you that our coffee intake has gone up as an office about 250% since I started working here. I love it. It's satisfying to me. But as I drink that cup, it's satisfying because God is satisfying. It's satisfying because he satisfies me. Because he satisfies me. Because he satisfies me. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. Everything that makes you feel alive, you realize, comes from him. It comes from him. So love the Lord your God with all your heart. Everything you're talking about and thinking about, bringing him into that running conversation in your life and in your home. Loving the Lord your God with all your soul is to make him the center of my satisfaction. Complete the cycle. You enjoy something, know that you are enjoying that because you were made to enjoy him. Now we get to strength. Love the Lord your God with all your strength. Let's look at verse 13. Before I read this, I want you to take note of the verbs here. Take note of the verbs that are happening here. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God. He wants exclusivity. And his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. This is when the Israelites were on their way and they were grumbling because they were thirsty. But what that grumbling word was fostering a spirit of complaint. That's what he's saying. Don't foster a spirit of complaint. Verse 17. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord said. This is about obedience. Now, it's not just obedience, though. It says, love the Lord your God with all your strength. This is a 20-pound dumbbell. My staff wanted to trick me by giving me like a 45-pound one. Yeah, I put that to end. But this is what we think of when we think of strength. And I want this image in your head because this word for strength in the Hebrew is a very physical word. It means everything that you do, love God with all that you do, right? But it's not just obedience. And I think some of us run the risk of of we narrow down the Christian life to obedience. We just obey. Just obey, and that's it. Just obey. Why? Because God said so. Just obey. Now, the Christian life is not less than this. Like, you need to obey, right? <laughs> that's like the foundation. But it's more than obedience that God is after here because this is love. This is love. 
So he's not just after cold obedience, you know, doing what I know I need to do. He's after devotion, repeated devotion. I've got some friends who are in really good shape. I can't use myself as an illustration for this. But I've got friends who are in really good shape, and all of them have something in common. They have all devoted themselves to this. And the reason that I know that they've devoted themselves to this is because they all do one important thing. They do the inconvenient. That's the difference, I think, between somebody like me and somebody like my friends who are swole or ripped. Really, the difference is they go after, they're drawn into doing what's inconvenient. Look at these words in here. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only. Take your oaths in his name. Do not put your Lord to the test. Keep the commands of the Lord your God. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight. Here's the thing. We're drawn to doing not what's good in the eyes of the Lord's sight. And because of this, every effort that I make to make sure that all of the areas of obedience in my life are in alignment is going to be inconvenient. It's going to be inconvenient, and it's going to be devotion is a detour from what I'd rather be doing every time. It's the detour of devotion. If I'm going to be devoted to God with all my strength, it means that I'm going to do what's inconvenient. Is there a part of your relationship with God right now that is inconvenient? truly inconvenient to you. You wake up in the morning and you do the inconvenient thing because you want to spend time in his word, right? You've got that neighbor that God is calling on you to build a relationship with, but in order to do that, you've got to go out of your way, literally out of your way. It's a detour of devotion. Now, when I am deciding that I am going to serve at church, well, that's inconvenient means I'm going to have to get there earlier. I'm going to have to prep some things that I might not have time for naturally. But if I'm loving him, this is love, I'm not even going to think about how much it inconveniences me. What I'm going to be thinking about is I'm devoted to God. I'm devoted. I'm devoted to him. Interesting thing happens to people that do the inconvenient things on a regular basis. They get stronger. You love the Lord your God with all your strength, your strength builds. And these are the people, by the way, that we tend to go to when things are tough. We tend to need prayer for something or we tend to need uh, counsel for something. We go to the people that we know are doing the inconvenient thing. We go to the people who have not skipped leg day, spiritually speaking. That's where we go. Let's all be those people. Let's all be those people. Can you imagine that? If we had a church full of people who loved God with all their heart and all their soul and all their strength, can you imagine what God can do with that? He's already doing things with it. He's already doing things with it. Because some of us in this room are doing this and have been for a while. I've got some, I've got some audience plants. I've got some volunteers that were prearranged in this room. Teenagers, I believe. Uh, would you guys come up at this time 
And I'm going to look really dumb if you guys don't come up right now. <laughs> Jason, can we get this mic going? Awesome. You guys can line up right back here. Or right there is fine. <laughs> okay, uh, pass the mic down and just give your names and uh, how old you are. I am Cassie Marquette and I am Justin <coughs> I'm Joel Waller, I'm 18, I just read. I'm Lily Seaver, I'm 15. So, these people have something in common. They've been going to this church for a long time and they've been involved in our ministries for young people and kids for a long time. I've asked them to prepare an answer to two questions, okay? The one that I've asked them to prepare is, what difference has that made? What difference in your life has it made to have come through these ministries that we're running here at this church for kids and for youth? What difference has it made at all? So why don't you go ahead and just give those answers briefly and pass the mic down. Well, for me, growing up in the church um, really made me realize that when I'm not in church, when I'm at school or at work, that people don't really care if I'm a Christian or not. They don't care if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But when I'm with, um, when I'm surrounding myself with uh, people in church and in these programs, it really resonates that uh, they care about my well-being spiritually, and they really do care that I'm a Christian, and it just helps me. Yeah, like for me, um, just going to the youth group and stuff, it was just another, it was like a place for me that I could really um, open up to people. Going into my freshman year, I wasn't really an outgoing person, but that coming out of my senior year was really hard to do. But um, I mean, I found a good group of people in the youth group, and that's what it really did. Is there somebody that has, in particular, that's made a difference for you and through this whole process? Who is it? Um, for me, it would be Pastor Paul. He, since my freshman year, he's always uh, seen potential in me, um, doing things that normally I wouldn't be really willing to do, but he's always encouraging, and he has always just been a really godlike role model for me. Um, for me, it'd be my small group leader, uh, Steve Landis. He really pushed me whenever we have our small groups. He wouldn't like just let us talk. He really just, he always had like a topic to talk about. And he always challenged us on our questions. And he always challenged me. And he was just somebody that I could really go to when I needed help and stuff. So there's a lot of people. But I think I have to say, Gina Lazowski, um, she's really like put a lot of work into making the middle school youth group a lot better. And she has all these events for the girls and stuff, and um, she had, she had a really good relationship, and she's really helped me grow my relationship with God. I remember one day, I she took us through this whole thing last summer, like a devotional series, and when we got done, um, I realized how much, like, just doing devotions like that shame 
doing those devotions change the way like I thought about devotions. Like it's not just go read like a little passage in a book, but really like read the Bible and like learn stuff from it. So then she like I texted her and she gave me a bunch of like other studies that I could do like that. And that has really helped me in. Yeah. Stay up here, guys. You hearing this? You see why this matters? When the church is filled, so we need to be doing this in our homes, but in our churches, when the church is filled with people who love the Lord their God with all their heart and all their soul and all their strength, this is what happens. This is how we know. Verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. This is awesome. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our ancestors. He brought us out to bring us in. I think some of us, we don't serve in church uh, because we're intimidated by it or because we're intimidated we don't know what to say. Sometimes we don't talk to our kids about God because of this reason. Well, there's a script right here. He brought me out to bring me in. He brought me out to bring me in. What has he brought you out of to bring you into this relationship with him that you are enjoying right now? Say that. Tell that to your kids. Tell that to the kids of the church. I'm going to dismiss you here in a moment, and you're going to have an opportunity, and I want you to seriously consider it. We need to be doing this as a church. And our kids' ministry on Sunday morning needs your help. I'm talking from nursery up. We need assistance in this area. If this is not something that you are currently doing, when you walk out of this room, you're going to see tables out there. I encourage you to stop at the table and to put your name down on a card. It's a card that looks just like this. Okay? Sunday morning kids. It's got information on the back, serving in preschool, Sunday school, K-5, Sunday school, nursery. Yes, all these things are on Sunday morning. That means that you're not going to get to sit in the service sometimes. That's inconvenient. It's a sacrifice. We record the messages. We can do this because if we don't do this well, if we don't have, if we don't have evidence of God's work like what he's doing in their lives, then we might as well just close the doors right now. We might as well, because we're going to die. But if we can do this together as a church, love the Lord our God with everything that we are, heart, soul, and strength, and we do this, we talk about this, we enjoy him, and we do what's inconvenient, God's going to use that, because people start asking questions when people live like that. And chief among them are our kids. So let's answer it resoundingly with, hey, let me tell you what God did. He brought me out of this to bring me in to where I am now. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to encourage you to step back and stop at those tables before you leave, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you made the first move, that you brought us out to bring us in, that you brought us out of our sin and our shame, and you brought us in to love and forgiveness. Lord, may we respond by loving you back, Loving you in your love language, Lord. Heart, soul, and strength. Help us do this today and as we walk from here in the rest of our week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.